stopped on the side of the road actually, we put some more clothes on and drank some grappa from the team car. Like I was like, <laughs> hey podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. Yo ho! Welcome to episode 7 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist will wear mountain bike shoes with pride. If you stick around to the end of the show, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who was pissed in the 88 Giro. The podcast, it is on iTunes and you can subscribe by going to semiprocycling.com and clicking on the iTunes picture. Also, if you like the show, please take some time out and go to that clunky iTunes interface and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks. Okay, so the Olympics is over, and it's about six weeks of heavy coverage and cycling over as well. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it. I would say my highlights from the last week have been the track, especially the Kirin. Sir Chris Hoy taking it on from over a lap to go I thought was absolutely crazy. It was exciting to watch. That second kick coming into the last 100 metres was super-duper cool. I was into it. The second highlight for me was Anna Mears. The way that she just smashed Pendleton was awesome. Not because I hate Pendleton, just because it's given Australia something Just like last Olympics when she got silver, it gave Australia something. But it was a world-class performance. It shows how classy she is as a rider. And I'm interested to see what her next move is. You know, can she keep doing this? Is she going to go to the next Olympic Games? What's she going to do? That'll be interesting to find out. Other cycling events, BMX. I was getting right into the heats and the final of the BMX. It's a fun thing to watch. You know, people go down in track racing, they get back up and start racing. If you're down in BMX, you're down and out and that's it. You do have three races in the heats to try and pick yourself up. Some of the crashes, some of the tactics, dudes just chopping lines from other people. It gets pretty cutthroat out there. I'm into that. So I really enjoyed it. It's good that we got a silver medal. It's a shame Caroline Buchanan didn't come up with anything, but the British chick didn't either. That final was amazing. They, The British chick, sorry, I do forget her name, her and Caroline Buchanan were smashing the heats came to the final they had absolutely nothing but i guess that is bmx racing and finally the mountain biking awesome coverage the coverage was so cool cameras everywhere helicopters people the course looked super fun i would have loved to be out there i just wanted to jump on and have a ride as far as the best race out of the two i would say the best race out of the two was definitely the men's with the three top riders sticking it out and then um the spanish rider and the south african dude coming and going The Italian guy losing his saddle on the last lap and having to ride home, that would be hell on the quads. It was pretty cool. And then the Czech guy outsmarting Nino in the end and and coming through with the win. It It was a good race, and sorry, Phil, I'm sure everyone that watched it loved it. I just want to take a quick moment to talk about something called the Tour of Duty Ride. Give a shout out to my buddy Ty, who's riding it. Ty's actually the person that's responsible for all the photos on the site, so I'm expecting some pretty great photos to come out of this ride. But what it is, it's a tour for servicemen, military, police, firefighters, emergency services. Um, It's just there to demonstrate the respect and admiration that everybody holds for them. Try and raise some money. It's also to raise money and respond to the personal sacrifice that was made on the attacks of September 11. It started already, well it's already started on the 11th of August and it's going through to the 10th of September. So that's 29 days and 4,200 kilometres. They're riding across America from San Diego to New York. It's pretty impressive. It's an epic, epic challenge and I'm a little jealous because it does sound awesome. 
um, that you get to ride on liquid gases bikes which were donated after the tour of California I got the website in the show notes please check it out you can follow them they've got a GPS there where you can follow them very accurately and you can also donate some coin So getting to the nuts and bolts, today we're going to talk about the things that distinguish great writers from others. I'm talking mindset and motivation. It's a commonly held belief that it's talent alone that makes someone great. So today I'm presenting the argument that it's their mindset that makes the difference and how you can tap into that to make your own performance better. Specifically, using your mind as an untapped energy source that can result in increased performance. How? By enhancing your mind. Using your mind as an internal energy force is often overlooked as it's very abstract. The truth is, though, that your mind defines all aspects of behavior, such as how you think, feel, and interact with others. In a sport like cycling, the right mindset and high motivation are both prerequisites to getting the best out of yourself in any given situation. So whether it's training, racing, or even rest, there's a mindset that goes along with spending time off the bike as well. Any attempts to boost your mind need to be molded around specific circumstances. So let's take a look at a couple of ways that you can enhance your mind. Number one is enhancing motivation. And number two is developing an incremental mindset if you don't already have one. So if we look at number one, harnessing your motivation. How can we motivate ourselves when we're in the middle of a tough training session or a tough part of the race and we, or we don't even want to get up in the morning to go training in the first place? First, let's talk about why you race. What drives you because cycling is a sport where we're talking years rather than months. It takes a lot of time on the bike, it takes a lot of K's in the legs, a lot of pushing your physical limits, and a lot of time not drinking beer on Friday and Saturday nights. So, what keeps you coming back? Where do you get your hunger from? What is your motivation and where does it come from? Let's first take a look at what motivation is. Motivation is thought to be a combination of the drive within us to achieve our aims and our outside factors which affect it. With this in mind, motivation has the following two forms, intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic can be split into tangible rewards, so physical rewards such as medals and money, and intangible rewards such as praise, recognition and acknowledgements. Extrinsic motivation revolves around rewards external to the process of participation, while internally motivated people ride because of the process. That is, they ride because they find cycling interesting and enjoyable without being preoccupied by external factors. Intrinsic motivation is closely linked to fundamental motivation to learn and acquire new skills. The building blocks or psychological needs that underlie intrinsic motivation the need to determine one's behavior, the need to feel competent, the need to feel relatedness, and the need to have a meaningful relationship with other people. The main difference between intrinsic motivation and self-motivation, which is an interesting distinction, intrinsic motivation is about enjoyment and immersion in an activity, whereas self-motivation can involve an internal pressure to perform, which is part of personality. Which are you? If you're internally motivated, which one are you? Because I know that my cycling relates more to self-motivation rather than intrinsic motivation. I know that I'm doing, I know that I'm doing this as in riding a bike 
because I'm driven to perform, to do something, to get my satisfaction in this world. This is why I do it. Potentially, even without a bike, I would be picking something to do the exact same thing. So the bike for me, in some ways, is a tool in that regard, as much as just having a whole stack of fun just riding on a Sunday with your mates or, or whenever. You know, I, really, I just really enjoy riding a bike anyway. But intrinsic motivation comes with a complete absence of any internal or external pressure to perform well. Most people can probably recall a time when they were just riding with their mates and they were just absolutely loving it. They weren't thinking about, am I in a certain zone, you know, is my heart rate at a certain beats per minute or whatever. They were just absolutely loving it. They were flying, they were climbing hills the best, everyone is chopping and changing. Well, that's a big part why I really enjoy time on the bike and time on the bike with people that I want to hang out with. This state is actually called flow. Now that is something totally different, but it's linked in to intrinsic motivation. As an exercise, it's helpful to know these two to kind of get a picture of where you fit into the whole spectrum of motivation as to why you do cycling in the first place. You could line this up to all other areas of your life, but you know, because this is a cycling show, we're talking about cycling here, it'll give you a good idea as far as the rewards that you can give yourself after you achieve something. And whether it is just in the middle of the bike ride that you're appreciating it and that's a reward, reward enough, or it's at the end of a season or at a national championship or whatever it is, and then you go out and reward yourself. So I've got a motivational technique here that we can use as a performance gain in training and competition. First, I just want to look at competition. And the idea is that you can run through this in a competition mindset, so thinking about the competition, why you race, etc. And then you can do it again when you're thinking about training. Something to be aware of, though, is that motivation does change over time. So asking yourself these questions at certain points in the future can help realign your motivation to your end game. Just to be aware of this so that you're not just setting up this technique and then if you find it helpful, then you're using it and using it, but then you find its effectiveness goes down over time. Perhaps looking again and re-asking the questions as to why you're doing it and getting that, that picture of that the motivation behind why you're doing it again will be helpful. So if you ask yourself these questions, starting with number one, why do you race? What do you like about it? What makes you passionate about racing? What are the main reasons you participate in races? Just take some time to write these down. Write everything you can down in, in any form at all. Number two, let's get a little bit more specific. When you're racing, what sounds, words, images, and thoughts, what is it specifically that can get you excited and actually arouse your attention specifically for racing? And number three, try and identify the situations in races where you really struggle. Write down some situations where you have motivational problems. So an example for me, sometimes on hills, the second last lap of mountain bike races, and around 30Ks and probably around 60Ks into mountain bike marathons, I tend to have a lull in motivation. Now, if you look at the situation list, and then you look at your keywords, so the answers from number two, write down a keyword that can match each particular situation. So the idea is that you can call the, up these triggers at times when you're struggling throughout a race. So having this arsenal will hopefully drive you to get over any physical or mental barriers that you encounter. I think this is an interesting way to approach it, but I wouldn't go putting together too many scenarios and too many different words. First, I would maybe start with one, two at the most, and working from there. 
It's going to be hard, like we spoke about in the music podcast, it's going to be hard to remember too many situations and too many different words linked to that situation. And the 80-20 of this is picking the one that's the most crucial, the last hill climb, the last lap, getting dropped and getting back onto the bunch so you can make an attack later on. Picking that situation and then picking the words or the triggers that will get you over the hurdle when you find yourself in trouble. Also, just a quick note that this isn't a miracle, so it's not going to make your race any easier, but it will help you get through the situation more effectively. So again, do this one for racing, and then repeat the process for training. I know I struggled to get up on cold mornings, and I find it hard to get going on ergo days. So if I dig into my motivation to get me through these... Then I get over those hurdles, and then I usually find that I'm away, no problems. So if we move on now to number two, mindset, it's what you believe about your mind's plasticity. That's the key here. Now, if you don't know what plasticity is, it's basically the brain's ability to change. So the brain's ability to adapt and grow to new situations over time. Your mind has the ability to hold you from reaching your potential from the way you approach your cycling as a whole. What if you could change your mindset so that the desire to train and the enjoyment of cycling and the ability to cope effectively with setbacks, especially for those who've been turned off the joy of cycling? Well, Carol S. Dweck proposes just that. Tell me if you fit into one of these two categories developed by Dweck when it relates directly to cycling. The first one is a fixed mindset where you believe your abilities are fixed and you only have a certain amount of talent to ride a bike and then that's it. So you can learn new things but your ability cannot be changed. You have a certain amount of talent and that's that. So it turns and this mindset turns people away from growing because they're more worried about what they have rather than doing better. And their attention will only be peaked when you want to know if you're right. And that's it. The second one is the growth mindset where people believe they can change their ability over time. Through effort and learning, ability can be cultivated and developed throughout your life. Things can be developed, increased through effort and persistence and structuring. So, what mindset do you bring to cycling? Now, in some ways, just talking about cycling as a whole is quite difficult because if you want to segment this, it's going to be more accurate. So, if you believe you're better at hills, for example... So what mindset do you bring to cycling? I know the mindset I bring to cycling is a growth mindset. But then if I compare it to other things that I do. So let's just talk about something outside of cycling. Me learning French. I found out after reading this material that I actually bring a fixed mindset to learning French. So do you bring a fixed mindset to any part of your cycling? Not just cycling as a whole. Because that's where you're going to make the gains when I talk about how to move from a fixed mindset to a growth one. Do you see everything in your training as making incremental improvements over time? Because if you do, then it's growth. You have a growth mindset. I'm going to get into how to change from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. So whichever one you believe best describes your different approaches in cycling, still stay with me because I believe that if you possess a growth mindset for cycling, you may have a fixed mindset in other areas. So how can you change from fixed to growth? It's actually pretty simple but you don't know the answer until you know it. And here it is, awareness. So looking at the task in a different way, here Dweck is talking about the results that fixed mindset students got from participating in a study seminar that did just that. They learned that every time they pushed out of their comfort zone, stretched themselves to learn something new, 
their brains formed new connections, and over time, they could increase their intellectual ability. So, just to take what she was talking about and move it across to cycling, just by the very fact that you are aware that you have a fixed mindset, or you have an awareness that you can use every single bit of your training to grow incrementally. Grow and change your ability over time, in itself means that you're actually changing the way that you approach cycling. It's quite simple in that essence, but you don't know. I didn't know until I read this material, and then I just had a light bulb moment where, of course, yes, yes, fixed mindset. That's exactly how I'm approaching French. I don't believe that I'm doing it. I don't put my hand up in class because I'm going to get something wrong, or you know, I'm afraid. I'm not thinking about things in the way that. I should be. This is going to help me. There is no right or wrong. This is going to help me. And the same with cycling. Asking questions of experienced riders, or tagging on the the experienced bunch, or or anything that that's going to stretch you a little bit is going to help you. And just understanding that and sticking with it while you're in the middle of it, that's the stuff that's going to make the changes, the incremental changes over a time period. That your ability will, in the end, change. I I truly believe that. In conclusion, if we can wrap this up, how do we do it? If we're looking to enhance mind as a performance tool, then harnessing the motivation, specifically through that motivation activity, where at specific points during a race or training can give us a quick boost in physical output, if we're matching them to motivational words or sayings, right in the middle, in the moment, and checking and adjusting mindset from fixed to growth can change the entire approach that you have to training and cycling as a whole. And open up more opportunities to get better at the sport you love. I really hope you get something out of that. Mindset is something that I'm right into. So there definitely is going to be more this stuff on the podcast. The more that I read and I I adapt to cycling, the, the more that you're going to find out about this. Alrighty, so this is the tech hacks and products section, and today I want to talk about Camelback podium bottles. These biddens are the business. I discovered them a couple of years ago. On a whim, I thought they would be good, so I saw them for sale. I got them super cheap, four or five bucks a bottle, but I bought ten because I was so committed. And I knew as soon as I got it that they were the business. So they've got a plastic in them that means that it doesn't smell from the start, so you don't have to start washing out the bottles. The nozzle on the bottle is unique to Camelback as far as it's just a squirt or a suck system. There's a lock at the top, so you can lock it on and off. But as far as getting it in, there's no pulling out the end bit and then tapping it on your ass or whatever to close it to get it back in. I've found that it's been really convenient. I don't think I can go back to another nozzle. The the size of the nozzle itself is nice to suck on. It's a good rubber nozzle. I really enjoy these biddens. I think they're the best on the market, and I don't think I'll ever go back. I've been around Camelback. Ever since the mid '90s, when they came out with their first one, I I rebought a Camelback when I was starting to do mountain bike marathons again. But I realised soon that that was a bit of overkill. I was only wearing it at some point when I didn't have anyone to hand me bottles halfway through the race. That's a bit of a luxury sometimes. But as far as using a bidden, everyone's going to use a bidden when they're on a bike, and this. To me, you just can't go past it. So I don't think I'm going to go back unless someone else is going to give me a hundred free ones from somewhere else. My recommendation is get out and try one. You can find them pretty cheap. You can find them on sales. I had Scott on mine. The color didn't match my bike. It was a bit of a bummer, but the bottle absolutely made up the difference. Go out and get them. Give it a try, and let me know if it, it makes a meaning, meaningful difference to you. Have you used one, and does it make one to you? Do you use them now, and are they the business? Are you into them as much as I am? I hope you are. 
So let's get to that quote from the top of the show, and it's Alan Piper telling a story about his 88 Euro ride. It's pretty funny. It's got a whole bunch of different things in there. I'm actually going to put it at the end of this episode so you can have a listen to it. It shows Alan Piper in a different light. I don't know about you, but every time I see him now, he's so cool, he's so calm, he's so collected. You know, he's he's Mr. Manager. He's Mr. Experience. But check out this story. It's interesting. I bet you when he gets on the piss, he's a total laugh. I think you'll really enjoy it. And that's it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into.
Is there anyone else who would be embarrassed? <laughs> <laughs> and I told my two teammates, Peter Wynn and Balak, and Wynn and he, he, he does a lot of yoga and meditation, so he's really centered and he's really quiet. And he saw me without my teeth and he was like really falling off his bike. <laughs> got to the finish and I didn't know what to do. The problem was we got snowed in. That night the mountains were snowed in, so we had to, they cancelled the next day, so we were in the hotel all the day. We had three meals in the same hotel, and my papa really laughs. He's laughing. Twenty people on the table, you know, my papa would be laughing and like eating, eating a banana and like. And then, uh, then he said, Alice said on the massage table, maybe I ask Peter Post, I can go home tomorrow. So, yeah. But that will be difficult because we, have the, pink, because we have the pink jersey. No, no, we just we lost it, but it was only 30 seconds, yeah, yeah. like that. So he thought we can do maybe something the last three days. And then I said to the other guys, ah, Alan has to stay here, don't laugh anymore on the table. And then in the morning, we, we, in the evening we come on the table and nobody was laughing. And he was eating, it was pretty quiet now. And then at, at the last moment, the, the dessert is coming, the dessert is coming, and Alan took a banana, and, and I saw it, I said, Possible. And they take the banana, and everybody's looking, but nobody's laughing. And they took the banana and like that. And everybody started laughing. And then he decided, I asked to go home. But the thing is, my papa was laughing, so then when he laughed, I laughed more, and then my mouth was wide open. Like, and we front teeth And the whole restaurant was laughing, the waitresses and all the other teams, and it was like, oh, God. I've never told this, you guys are the first ones that know this. <laughs>